way around. But we left in 96 with four kids. I think Brian at that time must have been about seven years old. Six? Seven. Nine. I'm losing it. Uh, but Brian now is married. He married Mitty, who is from Ethiopia. So my family's really starting to look different. Um, and they, he is in the U.S. Army now in Georgia. Um, Jason, my second one now, is living with us in Grand Rapids. He works for Kirkstra Precast, and he's 22. And then I have an 18-year-old daughter that just graduated last year from Triunity. And I'm looking for a job and looking to go to CC this fall. And then I have a 16-year-old son, Sean, that's not here, and he's my skateboarder. And Sean, you need to pray for on Wednesday. Uh, about three weeks ago, he hurt his knee skateboarding. Jumping, he said, a six-foot. So something from here, jumping down six steps or whatever. He's really good. And uh, not good enough at this time. And when he landed, he blew out his knee. And after about a week and a half, it wasn't getting any better. So we went and went, got to, a, had an MRI done. And the doctor came back and we met with the surgeon last week, Wednesday. And he said, Sean, this isn't the first time you blew out your knee, is it? And Sean said, no. He said, well, he said, you didn't blow out your ACL this time. You did that last time. And he said, this time, because your ACL is blown out, um, tore not there anymore, uh, you tore out your cartilage. So we have a two-for-one special for you. Uh, we're doing two surgeries in one. And he's going in Wednesday morning at 8.30 to have arthroscopic on one side to repair the uh, cartilage. And then they're uh, taking, and this is new to me, they're not taking a graft from him, they're taking a graft from someone else and rebuilding his ACL. Um, he will be in an immobilizing cast for six weeks and therapy for six to nine months. And you tell a 16-year-old that just got a license that you're going to be like that. So, And Sue homeschools him, so she needs a lot of prayer having him home like that. Um, but we are in the middle of a transition in 96, Sue and I left with our family, I said, and we went to work with YWAM in Barbados and started their youth ministry program there, worked there for about four years, and then in 2000, we moved to Trinidad. Um, Trinidad is an island, Trinidad and Tobago is an island nation farthest south in the Caribbean. Uh, we're seven miles from the Venezuelan border, and uh, we're about 50% East Indian descent and 50% Indi um, African descent. Um, white, like me, is 0.6% of the population. So wherever I go, I pretty much stand out. Um, we went there to focus in on youth. 50% um, of the population in Trinidad is under the age of 22. We're an island, um, about a million and a half people, so um, it's pretty intense into that youth area. And we went in there to really impact them. Crime is off the charts. We're right now in Trinidad at about a murder and a half a day. Uh, we are number one in the world in kidnappings. We've passed up Columbia and all of that. And um, Sue and I started the ministry there with nothing. We moved our house, looked for a house to rent. And uh, now the campus has a 74-acre campus, five houses, a training center, a dorm, a conference center, and a challenge course where we bring in youth on there. 
And we've sent out teams all over Africa and India and our discipleship training school. About two years ago, Sue and I came back um, and started transitioning, saying, God, what do you want? We came back because in 2006 we were shot. In 2007 we had cancer. In 2008 we had cancer. And we started saying, God, what do you have for us? Um, And in that transition time, we started praying and seeking God and um, getting healed from the cancer and um, moving on. And the Caribbean leadership team asked us partway through to pray about taking on a new role. In the Caribbean, we, started, we have 10 campuses. Now we're at 28, 10 from 10 years ago. YWAM is at 1,800 locations around the world. Um, it's huge. In fact, it's the world's largest Christian mission agency. And they asked us to start praying about starting a ministry in ministry and leader development. And um, last week, Friday, the paperwork went into the state. Uh, We are registering excelling leaders uh, out of Grand Rapids here with the vision of mobilizing and training Caribbean ministries and how to have a vision plan, a statement, an overall objective. How do you grab resource development? How do you mobilize your staff? and all of that. So we're helping them in web page design, all different kinds of things. And hopefully by the end of next week, the federal government 501c3 paperwork will be in there. But we're starting to mobilize from here. We now have a 74-foot sailboat. So if any of you are sailors, uh, we need you. We just bought last year a 74-foot sailboat. It's now in Antigua, working its way down to Trinidad. And it sleeps 20, and uh, we're using that for hurricane relief. We can be anywhere in the lower Caribbean within a day or two after a hurricane with a team that's trained in how to assess the needs and bring that in, as well as we're looking at using it as a mobilizing for youth stuff. So um, we have two full-time staff, but we have a lot of volunteers that come in every time when we move from island to island. So if you have a one- or a two-week period that you'd like to sail with us, um, it's Antigua, just saw it, get a hold of me, and I can tell you where they are and get you in contact with the captain, and we can move you on. So if you have a heart for sailing, unlike me, and don't get seasick, um, we have those opportunities as well and a lot of different things. So that's where we are. But I am here right now. I kind of got blown in. Um, for me, I'm hoping my gas mileage gets better going down because we bucked headwinds all the way up from Grand Rapids. But it's a great day. And um, I'm going to talk today about, let's stop a minute, let's pray. Lord, we just come to you and we're excited for who you are. Lord, you are our hope. You are our strength. You are our redeemer. You are all that we need. And Lord, I pray that today as we study your word, that you will show us more and more who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with what you want me to say. Lord, I got stuff prepared, but if it's not the way you want me to go, I ask that you move me in the direction that you want. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. Amen. Today's Palm Sunday. And I started looking, what is Palm Sunday like? 
And I heard a thing the other day. A guy, a guy made a statement. He said, praise is a game changer. And he had just been at a high school basketball game through the middle of the tournaments, and um, he was watching Triunity at that time. And Triunity ended up winning the state championship in Class D, but in that particular game, they were losing quite badly in the first quarter. They couldn't hit nothing. They were behind by 15 points in the first quarter. And as they started walking back at the end of the quarter to the coach, and most players, when you're down by 15 points, your heads aren't real high. You're looking kind of down and not trying to figure out how am I going to avoid the coach's look. And as they started walking, it started little by little by little. But parents and students all up and down the stands started to cheer and started to clap and started to just raise all the voices that they had. And you could watch the heads start lifting up. They came back in that second quarter and wiped out the whole 15-point deficit and went up by 10. But for the first two minutes of that second quarter, no one sat down. And they just kept praising. It changed the game. John Maxwell talks about a story about when he was watching his Little League nephew's game. And those of you who have played Little League or watched Little League, there, it's a whole culture in itself. Little League, when I'm playing Little League, when I played, it's not so much about whether I can hit the ball, but whether the pitcher with the ball can hit my bat. <laughs> because it has nothing to do with my skill level up in front, because I'm scared. And it talks about how John Maxwell sitting in the stands watching his nephew play baseball. And his nephew is one of the littlest kids, the youngest one on the team, a little bit overweight, doesn't do very well, and he's batting ninth. And those of you who played baseball, I batted ninth at times. That means I'm about where the coach doesn't really want me to be on the field. But he gets up there, and the first time he gets up is in the third inning, and they're down because they've gone one, two, three every inning. And he comes up there at the third inning, and the pitcher goes, and he's standing up there kind of weak-kneed, and the first pitch comes in and goes, Vroom! strike one. And the coach says, swing the bat. So the next one comes in, and it comes in, and it hits the catchers, and he swings a little bit below. And then the third pitch, he's back sitting down. Finally, it gets later on in the game, and they're down, and they're the last out. And in Little League, you have to bat. You can't substitute at different times and that thing. And he's up there, and there's two guys on base, and they're down by three runs. And John Maxwell, everybody's groaning because they know this kid's coming to bat, and he hasn't even come anywhere close to swinging. So as he comes out of the dugout, John Maxwell runs up to the fence. And he starts saying, you can do it, you can do it. And he's just cheering him along. You can do it. All you got to do is swing. So the kid gets up there and John Maxwell is just yelling and screaming and cheering him on. And the rest of the stands are looking at him like, what are you doing? The first pitch comes in and it comes and it hits the catcher's mitt and he swings. 
way behind. And John's just yelling, you can do it, you can do it, just swing a little earlier. So the second pitch comes and he swings and then it hits the mitt. A little bit too fast. But John Maxwell's still sitting there yelling, you can do it, you can do it, and starting to cheer him on, you know, and going, you can do this. And the next thing it comes in and it swings and for some reason the pitcher's ball hit the bat. And it trickles out a little bit in between home plate and third base in between the pitcher. Now, the second thing you learn in Little League is you never stop. Once you hit that ball, you run. And you will watch that ball follow you all the way around the inning. So he's running down, and they're all arguing about who's going to pick it up. And they finally pick it up, and they throw it to first base, but he's already passed. He's running towards second base, and John Maxwell is in the stands. He's cheering, you can do it, you can do it. And he's cheering him, don't stop, don't stop. And they're going around second base. He's headed about the shortstop, and the ball hits second base. By this time, John Maxwell is out on the field. He's next to his nephew out there on third base, and he said they're chugging along, and him and his nephew are running down the third baseline. His nephew slides into home plate, and he slides right next to him. And they won by three runs, by one run. But see, praise changes things. It's your perspective on what you're doing changes where you're going. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 24. Not 24, I'm sorry. Luke 19. Luke 19, and we're going to start at verse 28. Let me give you a little bit of the setting of this. Um, Jesus and his disciples, it's the Mount of the Triumphal Entry, but they're headed towards Jerusalem, not knowing what they're going to see. They've already been told, Jesus already told them, it's going to be a rough week, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to go through all this. And they're walking towards Jerusalem, and it starts out in the version. It says, after telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And that's kind of a key little thing, because his disciples are sitting there, do we really want to go? Jesus has told them this week coming up is going to be a hard week. And Jesus, as the leader, set the tone. I'm headed this way. And he's walking, and normally his disciples are around him, but in this time, they're right in back of him. And as they came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter, you will see a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked, Why are you untying our colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride. And then the crowd spread out their coats on the road ahead of them. And as they reached the place where the road started down from the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing, as they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in earth and glory in the highest heavens. 
But some of the Pharisees around the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying these things. And replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. It's kind of the game changer. The same thing we talked about. The disciples are hanging back. I don't know if I want to face this week. And Jesus has got to have those same kind of emotions going on in front of him. Do I have what it takes to finish? He's God, but he has a choice. Do I want to keep going? And they're walking along. They're at the top of the mountain, and they start going, and people start praising. And it's starting to change the tone. People are getting excited. They're saying, come on, here's our, here's our deliverer. He's coming in. And their vision of what's going to happen is totally different than what Jesus' vision is what's going to happen. But they know something's going to happen. And they're yelling and screaming, and you've got this group sitting there, and everything's going on. And like today, when you started cheering us, I start feeling uncomfortable. Well, the Pharisees are feeling uncomfortable. And maybe the reason for feeling uncomfortable is a little bit different than mine was today, but they're still feeling uncomfortable. And there's places that you've been that people are cheering. In worship sometimes here, people are getting excited, and you're sitting there, I really don't feel like that. I, I, boy, I, I don't sense it. I wish they'd be quiet. I'd rather go sit in the corner and have just me and God. And they start cutting down. And Jesus makes a statement to them. They start complaining to him. He said, if I make them quiet, the rocks will cry out. And that's kind of an interesting phrase because if you go back through the history of the children of Israel, whenever something incredible happened, they built an altar. When you start looking, when they crossed the Jordan River, he sends them in to bring rocks and build a monument so that they can see it and they can tell their children's children that they're going to see it. All over Israel, there were at that time standing stones, and these things can sometimes be 20, 30 feet high. And wherever God met somebody in an incredible way, they would erect a stone so that when you walk past it, you say, oh, something really cool happened here. Jesus is saying, if they be quiet, we're still going to be erecting stones. The stones along the roadway here are going to tell about what's going on. And the interesting thing, too, scientists now today, because of technology, we realize that stones are made of matter. And I was reading an article the other day that said stones, because of matter, when they get cold and warm, they contract, move back and forth, and that friction makes noise. Rocks do cry out. As they move in creation, they rub and they make noise. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're like the people right now in your situation where you want to just yell and scream, God, you are incredible. Or if you're in a version of the Pharisees. Not because you're cynical of what's going on, but because of situations in your life, you say, I can't really focus on that. Turn with me 
to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. It says, I will praise you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day, and I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. His greatness is beyond discovery. Let each generation tell its children of its mighty acts. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. You are all inspired, your all-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue, and I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will share with the joy of your righteousness. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to get angry. I'm glad of that. Full of unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion in all his creation. All of your works will thank you, God, and your faithful followers will bless you. They will talk together about the glory of your kingdom. They will celebrate examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule generation after generation. The Lord is faithful in all he says. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts up those bent beneath their, lo their loads. All eyes look to you for help. You give them their food as they need it, and when you open your hand, you satisfy the hungry and thirsty of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all he does, to all who call on him, yes, all who call on him in sincerity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord, and everyone on earth will bless his holy name forever and ever. Wow, what a psalm. It's exciting. It just kind of wells up in you. There's a phrase in there, let each generation tell its gen next generation. I, I preached the other day, and I talked about how we always say, my lifespan is from cradle to grave. How many of you ever heard of that? In the dash in between. That's not biblical. See, biblical phrase is cradle to cradle. If you go through the book of Kings and all of that, it talks about this king died and his son. You read genealogies, it's passing on, passing on. Your job is to pass on what God has done to you to the next generation. Because if it ends with you, you failed. See, a biblical concept is cradle to cradle. And it talks about passing it on to generation to generation. And April 30, 2006, Sunday morning, I preached this sermon. And I was excited. There was God was doing all kinds of incredible things in Trinidad, and it was exciting. We came home that Sunday afternoon, and bandits came out of the bush and shot Sue and I that afternoon and we're sitting there, the bullet went through my neck here, it went into Sue's back, and the kids were in the van, they shot twice at Sean as he's running away at 10 years old, and Alyssa's sitting in the van as they're breaking the windows to shoot at Sue. All that happened Sunday afternoon after I preached that sermon. Four days later, I'm sitting in my same office. 
with my staff around me, Sue is still in the hospital, bandage on my neck, and my arm is just hanging there. I can't lift it. I couldn't lift my arm up for almost a year. It severed all the nerves going to that arm. And I remember sitting around that table in my office with my staff members there. Alyssa and Sean were in what we called a safe house because we didn't know if the guys would come back to get us again. So we put them off in a safe house. Sue is in the hospital, and I'm sitting there, and the Caribbean director and another director had come in to help mentor the staff and move us along. I had just gotten out of the hospital the day before. All the fear is going on. You could tell the staff are scared, and we had guards on there to protect us from anything else happening. And Bill pulls out and reads the same psalm. And I had a choice, because I sure didn't feel like it. I, I sure couldn't say, other than being alive, I praise you, my God and King. I'll bless your name for you. I'll bless every day. Because I didn't even know if I'd make it to the next day. And I'm watching my staff in fear, my family in shambles, and my faith not knowing what's going on. I met the Prime Minister that afternoon. I walked into his office, it's like the Oval Office of a President, go through all the Secret Service checkpoints, and the last one I come up to, he, the Secret Service man come up to me in the room and he gave me a hug. And he said to me, Kevin, I don't know if you know who I am, but I've been praying for you since the day you were shot. You dedicated my baby in a church service. And I hadn't remembered that. And the prime minister came up to me and he shook my hand and he said, on behalf of my country, I want to say I'm sorry for what happened. And I said, Mr. Prime Minister, um, it's not your fault. God has a call on your island and the enemy doesn't want to see it happen. Then he looked at me and he says, when are you leaving? Because Trinidadians have been fleeing the country because crime is so high. And I said, Mr. Prime Minister, my God didn't save me to run. I'm here to stay. And through that, he said, then how can I help you? And we had a deed that had sat there for two, almost two years that he had a sign. And he signed it within two months. And things started changing. But I had a choice sitting there. Am I going to believe Psalm 145? Or am I going to wallow in what is going on? See, it's my choice. When situations come at you, how you react is not God's choice. It's yours. And I sat there, and over the next year, I watched all of our staff leave. And we had to rebuild all the way over again. And it's doing well. But I was wondering what in the world is going on. And I sat there, and I got into the Word. I'm a Christian, but I don't think I was ever into the Word the way I was then. And I said, God, I don't like this. This is junk. My arm's dangling here. I can't use it. I used to drive, and people couldn't understand, but I'd pick up my arm, throw it on the steering wheel. 
on the stick shift, and luckily on Trinidad, it's the other side. So I'd sit there and somehow lock it, and I'd lean forward and pull back, lean forward and pull back. That's how I'd shift. Two weeks after being shot, I was dropping the team off after they were doing some ministry with Teen Challenge, and I pulled into an area um, to get a phone card. And I walked out, and the guy comes up to me. He said, give me 10. He said, I need to make, buy a phone card. I said, no, man, you don't need it. And I got into the van and put in the key, and I looked up, and there he was standing in front of the van with a gun pointed at me two weeks after being shot. And I looked at him. I said, no, this ain't going to happen again. And I turned the key on, and I drove right at him, and he jumped out of the way. I got a mile down the road, and I had to pull off to the side of the road because I was shaking so bad. <laughs> but see, I had a choice what I'm going to do. And I had to start looking at, God, what is your plan? And I went all the way from the beginning, Genesis 1. See, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. See, if they ever wipe out the whole creation story, we've lost our purpose and identity. Because in Genesis 1, God is there and God created me and God created all things. And the neat thing about Genesis 1 as we're going through it, it says evening, morning, every time, evening, morning, the second day, evening, morning, the third day, and it was good. He kept saying that all the And I kept thinking, is this a grammatical error or what? Why in the world does he talk evening, mornings? You know, why does he figure the day, evening, morning? My day starts up when I get up at 6 o'clock and have my cup of coffee. That's morning, day. But in God's saying it's evening, morning, because he wanted the children of Israel and us to learn that he's working all the time. See, the day starts when, he, when I go to bed. When the sun goes down, his day starts. And he's working through the night, and I get up in the morning, and I get to join him in what he's doing. See, it's not about me. It's about him and what he's doing. Evening, morning, the second day. And it starts, and God creates Adam and Eve for relationship, and we all know the story, and Adam and Eve sin, and it falls apart. And God goes in there, and he starts walking, and he says, Adam, where are you? And that one's a no-brainer to me. What do you mean, Adam, where are you? God, you're supposed to be able to see everything. But God knew that the relationship he created Adam and Eve for with him was gone. It wasn't the same. It wasn't a physical. He couldn't see but that relational aspect that he had created him for him was gone. And God said, that's all right. I got a plan. And it says that they were naked. And they're putting leaves around them. And God goes out and kills an animal and makes them a wardrobe. It's right in there, guys. That is the first blood sacrifice that ever happened. And it was a sacrifice that God already is showing them, I am covering you by blood. And it's a foretaste of what's going on. And see, God's got a plan, not in Genesis 1 or in the beginning, God went away, but he's got a plan that keeps moving today, yesterday, and it keeps going, and God goes from, from Abraham, and all of a sudden we keep reading, and it comes into Noah. And Noah, God says, is a righteous man. And God wipes out all the people around because of the sin, but he saves Noah and his family. And I, I grew up with Bill Cosby. And Bill Cosby had that old saying about Noah, of how everybody's yelling. And I, I can't imagine building that dumb art for that long 
where there's never been rain before and keep walking with God and everybody's yelling and looking at him and saying, you, you got to be an idiot. What is that thing? What is it, what's it supposed to do? And God's plan keeps working and it doesn't stop with Noah. It goes into Abraham. And see, God's plan isn't just one person. It doesn't end with that. It keeps going. See, Palm Sunday isn't just today, but it's a plan that keeps going on and on. It goes to Abraham, a father of nations, a guy that can't have any kids. And he's a hundred and some years old, and he says, you're going to have kids. And if I'm a hundred years old, I'm going to be underground. But God's got a plan that keeps moving. He says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations where you're not even going to be able to count how many people I got. Take your eyes off from your situation and start looking at my plan and where we're headed. And it goes from Moses and Abraham and all of those guys, and it keeps going to King David. And all the guys in between there, and David is a, the greatest king that ever lived. And he starts wanting to build a temple, and God says, no, I don't want you to do it. I want your son to do it. Because God's plan is still moving, and he know what he created David for, and he didn't create David for the same thing he created Solomon for. See, he didn't create you the same as he created me. And your plan is different than my plan. But it all flows into God's plan. And it says at the dedication of the temple, when Solomon gets up there and the glory of God fills the temple, they sit there and God, Solomon dedicates that temple not for just Israel, but if you go back to the... for all the nations to see. And it has the huge pillars up there and the pillars at the way they were made reflect the sun. So when the sun comes up, they reflect God's glory through the pillars of his temple. And God's plan keeps moving. Was it easy through there? No, no. And then it goes through the prophets. And we get into the New Testament, and we get into where he sees Mary. And Mary's a virgin, and he says, you're going to have a baby. And he says, no, mechanic, let God, let me, let me explain this here. It takes two to make one. And God says, yeah, there is two to one, but I'm the main one. And we're coming in, and you're going to have a baby. And it says, in the fullness of time. See, God doesn't, isn't late. He isn't early. He's right on time. And his time and my time, lots of times, don't figure out. His plans and my plans don't figure out. They didn't figure out in 1 Psalm 145, but I started looking at where it was going. And from there, God brings Christ, and he comes into the world, and he starts walking around. He's a carpenter, brings his knee, brings his finger. I was a builder for 20 years. I know how those things work. And he's moving them along. He's refining them. Palm Sunday, everybody's rejoicing at what they think it's going to look like. What they think it's going to look like. I had a lot of plans for what I thought Trinidad was going to look like. But it wasn't my plans that counted. And we get into Good Friday. And he sits on that cross. And that cross is not like what we like to think way up there. They nailed him at the cross at about eye level. So that you can come up and he's hanging there. And they could spit and yell and taunt while he's there. We're not looking up. We're looking eye level. But God's plan isn't done there. See, it goes into Easter morning that we're going to talk about Sunday. Pastor Ben's going to preach Easter morning. 
And we're all excited because the rock rolls away. And it's interesting, when did the rock roll away? When it was still dark at the beginning of the day because God was mowing the rock away. It wasn't man that could do it because our day don't start till morning. God was already doing it that night. And it didn't end at Easter. It kept going and it kept going and it kept going through the Acts, the Apostles, through all the things. And it talks about when Christ comes again and we're all in heaven, it says, every tribe, people, tongue, and nation will be before His throne. It started in a garden. In, in our view, it started in a garden and it's going to end in a huge city at a throne with people instead of just Adam and Eve with nations, people, tribes, and tongues all over. Until we get a grasp of where we fit in, we will always feel defeated and not know how I can do it. I preached a sermon a number of years ago in Trinidad. And I talked about God is finite. That means, I mean infinite, has no beginning and no end. I cannot, I can't get my mind around that. I can get my mind around a little bit that he has no end. A little bit. But that has no beginning is just way beyond, what do you mean? When did, when did you know, I, I can't get my mind around that. But we are finite beings. It means we have a beginning, but we don't have an end. If you ever looked at your life, and I've started it in that back corner there, and we take a line all the way around, and it keeps going all the way around. See, your life started there, and it's going to keep going, going, and going, and going. And your time on this earth might be a half inch long, might be an inch long, might be a foot long, but it's all within his plan. Where do you look? Where's your focus? Is your focus on what's in front of you to where I can't praise, I can't get excited, I really don't know, I mean, it's Easter it was get, I was getting excited last week because it was getting warm. And I got up this morning and it's not. See, I can, yeah, I've seen the snow too. See, if I look at my situation, my life is going to go. Where's my focus? Your church is in transition in some things. Your life is in transition. Some of you have jobs. Some of us don't. Some have good health and some are struggling. But if I focus in on that, my life goes all over. i got to focus in on Him and what He has in store. And ask, where do I fit in this plan. When I got up in the morning, God, what did you do last night? What do you want me to do with you today? Because it, it, it's not about me. I need to be a good steward of what I do. I got to be a good steward and fill myself so I'm using the time and talent he's given me. But he's given me. See, history is not my story. It's his story.
A couple years ago, I was in Uganda. We had our discipleship training school. Went to Uganda. And in our DTS, we have three months. It's a five-month school. They come in for three months of lecture phase. Learning to hear God's voice. Quiet time, intercession. But the last two months are an outreach. And we, because we're in Trinidad, we choose different places that are focused in on India and Africa and youth. And we pray in the very beginning, partway through the school, about a month and a half, God, where do you want us to go as a class? And this class heard distinctly from God, Uganda. Now, Uganda is in the middle of Africa. Tanzania is on one side. Uh, Lake Victoria is right there. But Uganda is a country that struggled. They went through the reign of Idi Amin. They went through all different kinds of stuff. Medium age in Uganda is 13. How many of you are over 27? Raise your hand. Um, you're dead if you're in Uganda. Medium age is 13. We went there for two months of outreach, working with kids, and started going around. And we were focused mainly in the Rakai district. Rakai district is the birthplace of AIDS. The very first case of AIDS in the world was in Rakai. The very first death of AIDS in the world was in Rakai. And you walk through Rakai, and you go through the huts, and all you see is kids. You see 13, 14-year-old kids are the head of households because mom and dad are gone. You walk in the grave sites, the graveyards are full. There's no more room. So outside of the house is mom and dad's grave. So as a kid walks out at 13 years old to take care of his brother and sister, his mom and dad's grave are there. Maybe some other brothers and sisters. And as we walked through Rakai that one day, I started walking up and down the road, and there was a guy pounding. He had a wood mallet, a little flat end on the barrel, about that big around, and he had a hammer, and he was banging it down. And he was banging on this. What this is, is tree bark. And what they do is they go alongside of a tree. And they cut with a knife across the top, down the side, across the bottom, a square. It's usually about 24 by 30. And he starts peeling it off. And he'll peel it to where it's about a half to three quarters of an inch. And he brings it home. And as he brings it home, he sets it in a shop and he lets it cure a little bit. Maybe a day or two. And then he starts pounding. And he has that thing and it starts out about like this. And he pounds. And it spreads out. Now in Rakai, in Kampala, the capital, 
they will use this for making purses. Maybe not the right color. But they'll make leather purses out of it. And they sell it to tourists and make an income. But in Rakai, there's no wood. And, and there's nobody that's a carpenter. There's no one that can make coffins. That trade has not been passed on. And in Rakai, that's a burial cloth. So when the kid walks down the road and he sees the guy pounding, he knows someone else has died. And that someone else will be buried outside their house because it's there and there's nowhere else to bury them. See that same tree bark can either be purse, or some kind of other commerce, or it can be a burial cloth. Depends on what your focus is. It's a newspaper. I get the news, I read it. I don't watch Fox News anymore because I get depressed. But where's my focus? Is my focus in on what's happening around me? And it's not good. And I can get discouraged and down. my focus on God and what he's done for me. Guys, he's done incredible stuff. And he's got a plan that doesn't end with me. It involves me in there. Where's my focus? Is my focus here? Or is it there? That morning when Bill read Psalm 145, I could focus in on me. I'd still be there. Where's your focus today? I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know someone that has your life in his hand. And if you haven't ever given your life to him, time to do it because he can take whatever you got and refocus in 
And if you want to give your life to him now, see one of the elders at the end. Because they're there. Second thing. I don't know what you're facing now. But if you can't get your eyes off the burial cloth, God wants to revent that. He's got so much. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He doesn't want you to be clouded with what's going on. He wants to walk you forward. And I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. And if you need prayer, they're there to pray for you, to help you take and focus off the situation and re-put it. If you need prayer, come forward. And if you don't want to pray with anyone, if you want to just spend time at the altar, God, help me to refocus in on you. Because he's there. And I'm going to leave these altars open. And I'm going to ask you to just come forward if you need prayer. Or if you just want to spend time and say, God, I need you. And if you feel uncomfortable about coming forward, do it at your place. But we're going to spend about two, three minutes here, and then we're going to close. But where's your focus? Who are you focusing on? And what are you focusing on?
and I am preparing a place for you. See, it's not, it's not your story. It's not our story. It's his. And he started it in the beginning, and he's continuing, and he's bringing it, and our focus needs to be on him. And when our focus is on him, no matter what junk comes our way, we can sing Hosanna in the highest. Matt, you read this morning, Hosanna means Savior or save. Save us. Hosanna. No matter where I'm in, Hosanna, you can save us. You have brought us. And I want to close the service in a song, and then when the song's done, I'm going to dismiss you. But guys, you have, ah, you've got an awesome week. Because your God walks with you. No matter where you're going, he's there. No matter what junk is at your feet or pulling you, he's there. Just put your eyes on him. Why don't you stand with us?
shook wonder at the mention of your name. Sing it again, filled with wonder. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. Have an awesome week.